This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Hello, this is Marjolaine Fournier. We're sitting here, Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler and I, in Studio Hexagon, and we're exploring the symphony. Today, our subject is the Third Symphony by Jean Sibelius. Now, Jean-Jacques, I've, I've studied this before meeting with you. I've read, I listened to it, I listened to the second, I listened to the fourth symphony, because I, I have to admit to you, I don't really understand this symphony in its context. First of all, I thought Sibelius wrote very big pieces, big, long pieces. This symphony... It took him a long time, yes, to write it, but uh, it lasts maybe 30 minutes, 31 minutes. It has three movements. It's simple. It's not this big, you don't see the, the vistas and the, the, the step, you know, the, the Canadian landscape in a way. When you listen to Sibelius, usually it's, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I don't understand. Well, let's work on that. Let's work on that. Uh, you, you have said a certain number of very, very important things. Um, I, I do think, uh, and I can start with asking a question. Um, how do you get out of the Romantic era when you have decided to be part of modern world? By breaking. And by breaking, you go back to the classical form. Um, Prokofiev did that up to a certain point as a kind of joke, but it, not everything is a joke. He, uh, Sibelius will do the same thing. He will use the Third Symphony to get out of the, of the, the, the structure of the uh, Romantic Symphony which one and two were. You won't have the landscapes anymore. No, the landscapes were in the Finlandia period, and then you get into his inner landscape. And that inner landscape was completely um, in, in touch with his time, with cultural, social events, and musical events. And so you were right also by saying it took him long, a long time, 1904-1907 and 1904-1907 are crucial to uh, the evolution of Sibelius. This and, is and to the, the evolution, the, the evolution. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Finland also is absolutely changing. Finland, very fast. Was, uh, which was part of uh, Russia still at that time, um, uh, uh, has the influence of everything that's happening in Russia. And Russia got into the uh, Russian-Japanese war, lost it, 1904, 1905. There are immense, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, strikes going on all over the country in Russia. It's uh, it, it, the strikes happen also in Finland, but in Finland the strikes go against Russia. Mm. <laughs> and we have, it is 1905, in fact, is the first revolution in, in, in St. Petersburg. And, 
and around. And so um, after that, uh, in, 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 nor, uh, in Finland, there will be a number of strikes. Uh, there will be a new governor installed. This new governor, whose name is not very important, his name was Bobrikov, will be murdered uh, by, in 1904 by a gentleman called Eugen Schaumann. And this Eugen Schaumann will, will be killed also. Um, and uh, uh, why do I tell these things? I tell these things because in 1905, Sibelius starts composing uh, a work called In Memoriam. And it's In Memoriam is an In Memoriam for uh, this Eugen Schaumann, very clearly. So Sibelius very clearly also had uh, been composing works for, and I'm quoting the name of this choir that he composed, um, my brothers that are in a faraway country. That all the exiles, <laughs> the exiles of those that opposed the uh, Russian system at that time. We know that in 1919, uh, Finland will be freed. 1918, will, they will be freed because uh, the Russian Revolution has uh, decided that uh, they could go on their own. They're not all, they haven't always been on their own. <laughs> um, uh, there is a famous, famous joke um, on, the, on, the, on the cars. There was SF for Finland and people called it uh, uh, Soviet Finland <laughs> oh. later, you know, but it's this was a this was a crocodile joke um, mm. by the Russians. Anyhow, this um, so Finland Finland gets out of the uh, of the Russian influence at the uh, by 1918, and uh, of course he's uh, he's a nationalist. Sibelius is, and he will be composing works that so that works that. Um, that some of the works that will go in that direction. At the same time, he is he's at his own crossroads. And he wants to be part of the contemporary world. And he wants to be part of those musicians that, uh, that are building the contemporary world. Strauss, Mahler, Buzzoni, Fitzner, Rega. Shillings, all these people um, are, are, are creating or reflecting uh, the, the 20th century that is arriving. And so if that is one thing. Then at the same time, and I'm, I'm quoting a letter of his of the 1st of June 1904. Um, Deep inside me, I'm changing. I have observed this with melancholy and uh, uh, unsettledness. As long as I don't become cold, hard, it would be the end of happiness. So um, he's uh, he's not too sure what what is happening. He knows that this world is not not uh, the greatest world. Uh, I'm quoting another another letter by him. I read books of history and philosophy, and uh, one can say <laughs> easily that life is beautiful, even if we have been sent here, down here, to suffer. <laughs> For me, the more we have a rich mind, the more we can sustain suffering. And I think this is, this is also very true. <laughs> My feeling of solitude is much stronger than ever. That is in March 1904. 
death is coming closer and notwithstanding that I have so many new ideas so he wants to get the new ideas through this is the new world he wants to break with that that uh, romantic world of the 19th century and then uh, he uh, he will be starting to compose in 1904 that third symphony but it will take time because he composes all kinds of other things which are very interesting. Um, uh, he says at a given moment, I'm getting back into my old habits, my old habits like uh, writing for the theater. And he will compose Pelias et Melisande uh, for about that wonderful Mater Link play, uh, which was the most highly successful play at the time. He was not the only one that composed uh, a Pelias Mélisande. You know, Faure composed a Pelias Mélisande. And two years before, uh, before Sibelius, Schoenberg composed a Pelias Mélisande. So there are three Pelias Mélisande hanging around the repertoire of the orchestras now, and they are all three very different and, and very interesting. So he does that. He composes also uh, an, uh, another work, which is a, a, uh, a, a, a what do you call it, uh, a, uh, a symphonic poem, a symphonic poem, which the girl of Tohola, and in uh, and and that is a, that's a composition that is seems to be very influenced by Richard Strauss. Richard Strauss, it's the most Straussian, let's say, of the works of Sibelius. Um, orchestration, brilliant orchestration, brilliant orchestration, which is about well, Richard Strauss and Rimsky-Korsakov, who were both very, very, very great orchestrators also. So he does those things. And then, 1905, this same year, he, he hears for the first time the Fifth Symphony by Gustav Mahler. He, you know, this, this, this changes people hearing the Fifth Symphony of, by Gustav Mahler, even today. And then he, uh, and he composes his violin concerto. And his violin concerto gets into premiere. And his violin concerto is not necessarily a romantic violin concerto. It's a very different already. It has a very different form. Then oh, and it has a very different feel. You're and a right. very different feel. Yeah. It's the same year he hears the Brahms violin concerto for the first time. And his remarks will be, oh, it's a nice work. It's, it's, it's not bad about Brahms. Well, anyhow, <laughs> that's, that's a, it's a nice oh work. Boy. But it's very different than my violin concerto. He's yeah. right. He's getting there. He's getting into a new period of classicism. Yeah. And that's what the third symphony is go it's going to be the the I, I call it the the work between the second and fourth. And you were right by listening to the second symphony and then going to the fourth symphony to see what this bridging could be about. Oh, and the bridging well. for me happens uh very clearly uh from the first movement on, but essentially in the third movement.
I have to admit, I did listen, but I didn't understand the link. You're going to have to explain this to me. Because I, I see this Sibelius as a guy who's very good at writing the poems, the symphonic, even his symphonies are symphonic poems to me. I, I see imagery always. And this third symphony in the, in the picture, in the, in the line of his work, I, explain it to me. How, I, I mean, you placed it in the, the, the feel of the time. You placed it also that all over Europe, um, everywhere, people were composing to get away from the romanticism. And to do that, they go back to the classical forms and they um, pure, purify it. I understand this, but how, how did he let himself write this symphony? How did this happen? May I come back to two or three things you just have said, sure. and then I'll answer your question. Um, you're absolutely right by saying, I feel this as symphonic poems. He wrote it himself about the, fourth about the third symphony. Oh. Yes, I'm working. It's more of a symphonic poem. Really? Yes, dot, dot, oh, dot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you oh. go. So this is right on. On the other hand, yes, uh, wh what did he want to do with this third symphony? What did he want to do? Um, first, he wants to break. And how do you break? Getting out of the, the, the romantic, you go. The first step is going back to a classical form. And the first uh, step, uh, step is then the first movement, of course, of this, uh, of this, uh, all this allegro moderato, which is uh, formally perfect. You know, very clear structure and very clear lines, um, a very well established tonality in C major, uh, extraordinary vitality. You know, th this initial movement could be the initial movement by Haydn and Mozart if Sibelius weren't Sibelius. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. I don't want to drag this out, but the the theme. He opens with the cellos and the basses, right? Yes. And it's in C major. And when I see C major, I, I, it's not that I roll my eyes, but I think, wow, you, I mean, it's, th that's such a white page, eh? C major yeah. is so, yes. and it's, that would be the opening for me of a fourth movement. You know, something, and then it will develop, mm. and, but it, there it is. And that's how he starts the he whole thing. He comes from far. He comes from far. Yeah, yeah. It's total breakage. Just imagine the, the end of the second symphony. Yeah. I mean, these, are, <laughs> these enormous and landscapes and everything goes through your mind, colors, and you know, you're, you're, you're drawn away by the waves of the whatever sea there is in Finland. So, <laughs> and suddenly here dominates the impression of simplicity, light clarity in we we breathe like a perfume of um countryside idyllic uh, uh you know beings and uh, you know it's, it's something no uh, something is not happening well something is that is happening is that he's making a breaking point and it's and and you get that simply now there is something else i have to say about simplicity there are two kinds of simplicities there is a simplicity under the art and a simplicity above the art <laughs> It comes from a French uh, a philosopher called Paul Valéry. And, you know, there are two kinds of simplicities. There, there, there's the great artist whose simplicity 
contains everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is the, the poor, <laughs> uh, the poor amateur who, who is simple and there's nothing much behind it. So I think this is great superior. <laughs> superior simplicity. simplicity. Yes, I think there's great superior. It's the same kind of simplicity that you find in some of the works by Shostakovich. So you have this, um, you know how people call this symphony? The pastoral of the, nor of the north, the northern pastoral. So you're right, there, you know, there goes that first movement, very nice, very simple, but it's seen more like Haydn than it is like Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. Beethoven will come back at another moment. You know, so, he's, uh, so you have this great unity of, 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 to of tone, you know, and, and a predominance of the, of the strings. You're right, predominance of the strings. A very organic unit. And the sonata form as clear as possible. So it's very comfortable. Hey? And it's a very comfortable. Yeah. Then you get into the second movement and it's not as comfortable. Yeah. Now I've read people, people call this movement one of his perfect movements, a little jewel. And it's, it's, it's true. It's very uh, loving. It's very tender and gentle. Yes, but also uh, the theme is of a strange charm. And, you know, it's gentle with a strange charm to it. And that strange charm, and we have talked about it before we were talking, um, the preparing this, you know, um, the, the strange charm comes from a, a, a double rhythm. Six over four and three over two. So if I can go in there, the rhythm, I think we call that the metric. Yes, okay. Uh, so six, four, the way that you feel the rhythm, I, I'm sure the listeners know this, but six, four, you go one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's like two beats within the bar. In mm -hmm. three, two, mm -hmm. you still have the, the six quarters. The, the, the bar will be of the same length, mm -hmm. but it will be one, two, three, four, five, six. And you can pile those mm -hmm. on top of each other, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. it's an odd feeling. It's like being in a boat rocked Absolutely. by waves a little bit, eh? Absolutely. from all directions. Absolutely, and so and it's and it and it are the cellos that are divided that sing this. Oh, too true. Yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it is really you know, a gentle rock. There are kind of two rhythms superposed, and uh, and uh, and so they are not not in D in C major. They, they are in uh, G-flat minor. That's far from home, eh? And that's far from home. So there is total difference atmosphere to this deep current flowing on dormant water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The deep flowing on dormant water. And that's what exactly what you have explained um, metrically. <laughs> and it's not long. As no. we said, there's three movements. W but you told me now earlier that the third movement actually is composed of four parts and almost yeah. uh, he, he's almost glued together the two last movements. Eh? That's exactly. And that's what he's going to do in the future. In the fifth, the sixth and the seventh uh, symphony. In the seventh symphony is the absolute outcome of this it's in one movement <laughs> mm -hmm. all the movements are within each other and that's why you were absolutely right by calling it a symphonic poem 
because it is. But the structure of the symphony is within that sim symphonic poem. And he's doing it for the first time. So you have two movements together. And the movements are kind of built on each other as if the, uh, uh, w you know, the sections are built uh, as if the former section was the prelude to the next one. <laughs> And so, the, especially the first one and then the, the, the second one. So this is a very short introduction, a very short introduction, and uh, with one long breath, and then that, on that one long breath, there are wonderful um, uh, orchestral explosions within it, and then you'll get into uh, two sections, then these two sections. The first one is, again, a sonata form, a kind of sonata form, and then afterwards you get in the finale with another a totally different, a different theme, a totally different theme, and this uh, will be uh, through rhythmic and melodic ostinato will will go through a great progression and go to great intensity at the end, carried by the the horns, by the woodwind instruments, and especially by the... The trombones and the, the trumpets, eh? He doesn't have a tuba, I think, but he does have three no. trombones. He has two trombones. So he saves the, the brass. He, he saves the brass, really, for the third yeah. movement. Or the and you, uh, you see the first movement is essentially is very much the string instruments, and then you, you get to the les cuivres, uh, mm. the... the, the uh, the brass, the brass yeah. instruments at the very end of the of the symphony, so it's uh, it's uh, it for the first time also he's trying he's trying a remarkable synthesis which will be which he will do very often um, between the slow Wagnerian rhythm and uh, underneath and then the dynamic Beethoven on on faster tempi. And so trying to do those things at the same time is very, you know, everybody was influenced by Wagner and, 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 and seeing what, what this man had changed into mu in the musical uh, texture. That's true. Eh? Everybody, each composer we, that we've studied so far who's heard Wagner was marked by Wagner. Absolutely. Of, of course. Absolutely. Though I think Sibelius, he finds something wrong with Wagner at some point, eh? Oh, yes. Well, th you know, they, they never totally agreed with each other. He found something wrong with Mahler. He found something wrong with, uh, uh, with Wagner, you know. But um, they have their own, per and it's a good thing. They have their own personality, mm -hmm. and, and, and we are grateful to, to, to live with the creations of these people. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to playing the symphony now. Thank yes, you very I'm much. Looking forward to hearing it. Thank you, Jean Jacques. You're See very you welcome. Soon. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. 
email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store, where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. Thank you.